hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Well, good morning, everyone. We are going to be uh, continuing on with our, uh, our sermon series, Ship Shape. I don't know if you guys see it there on the front. And I'm trying to keep it as nautical as possible, um, but I just wanted to talk about this morning. This morning, I want to talk about mentorship. Mentorship. I've had the, pri- the privilege of having some mentors in my life, one of them being Mike Hinger and Daryl Fraze. These two men were right at the very beginning of my spiritual kind of rebirth, uh, when I first became a follower of Jesus. They, beca- they identified some of the areas of my life that needed work, and they started to disciple me. They started to bring me into a, a place of knowing who Jesus is. Not only was Mike Hinger a friend, but he was also an amazing leader that helped me to kind of become the senior pastor down the line. It's amazing. I, I, I sent them a message. They live in Saskatchewan. They moved back into the very prairies where it's like minus 50 in snow. And, and they were, every time they, they see me online or they hear me preach, there's a, there's a flutter in their heart, they said. Because they just had just a, that small and introductory piece to see my ministry flourish. Mike Oshiro, a was Japanese-Canadian friend, brother of mine. We helped pastor and plant the Forge Church in Victoria. He was that 10 years older friend and mentor where I was still kind of where Josh Taylor was. I was, I was excited and, and I wanted to do everything. I want to tackle the world for Jesus' sake. And Mike was the one that kind of said, well, I remember one time I wanted to do all this ministry like, uh, as soon as I arrived and it was like a stat holiday. And afterwards he said, um, you want to do all this ministry? I said, yes. He goes, who told you to do it? I said, well, you know what needs to get done? He goes, yeah, but you never asked the Holy Spirit. It was that kind of a leader that I needed in that season of my life to challenge me on those things. My friend Phil from Vancouver, we did an arrow leadership program, a graduate level leadership program, and he was part of my cluster group that was kind of organized for us. But later on, he, uh, he became a, a, such a good friend, and to this day, I'm going to be on FaceTime with him next week, and he is not 10 years older than me, but he's of the same age. We're sitting eye level in ministry. Can you guys hear me? Is my mic on? Okay, good. I know I have a very loud voice already. The definition of a mentor is this. A person's mentor is someone who gives them help and advice over a period of time, especially help and advice related to their job. But if we were to trace back into our lives, if you had a moment right now, you would probably think of those people, those mentors, those coaches, those professors, those teachers that have shaped you into the person that you are today. So I don't, I've never met a single person going, I don't have a single mentor in my life. I'm like, well, just think a bit. There's probably some people that have kind of stepped into your life. They're kind of sitting at your, at your table for a season of life and saying, I want to speak into your life in this area. And that's what I want to tease out today. My attempt is I want to look at three people in different life stages from the biblical text. 
The first one, actually, before we kind of look at the younger person, I want to jump right out to the middle-aged person. I want to look at the person Saul as he became the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look into the New Testament this morning, and I want to start off on a on a book that we are actually going to be um, doing a sermon series on into the future, I want you to look at the book of Acts. Acts 8, 1 to 3, in the English Standard Version. Acts 8, 1 to 3. And this is, Saul is ravaging the church. He says, and Saul approved of his execution. He's talking about Stephen. And those arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, not Paul yet, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Turn the page over to Acts chapter 9, verse 1-9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters of the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound in handcuffs to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why, have, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city that you will be told. You will be told what to do. These men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. He was blinded. So he led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. This book here, that I, um, one of the required readings, as you could tell, it's a book that we had to really pour into. This is Carson Pugh's book, Mentoring Leaders. I shared a little bit, um, I kind of previewed this with our staff on Tuesday, but he talks about the ability or the ages of learning. And I want to just un under, kind of unpack and underscore this. The age of learning. The stage where Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus is actually in the second stage of learning. This is called the age of contribution. If you're taking notes, this is when you need to pull out the pen, take notes. This is the age of contribution. This is ages 30 to 50 years old. So if you are 30 to 50 years old, you're in the age of contribution. The key question for you in this moment of, or the season of life is, what do I do? Carson talks about it this way. He says, during this stage of life, we experience significantly more pressure. For those married with children, the household becomes very busy. It is the halftime season, and both men and women enter into a mid-life reevaluation, as they have sometimes second thoughts about the first half of life and give more regard to the future. During this phase of life, there is a danger of, quote, dabbling, 
uh, in other words, trying one thing after another without making significant contribution anywhere. We must also be careful not to plateau here. You must be intentionally growing and wanting to strive to grow. We need coaching for these age of contribution. You need direction in this phase. It's an important time in life when we desire strongly to figure out life's purpose and to find our voice. For Saul, we see him from the text as a 30 to 50 year old man. And he encounters Jesus Christ. You want to have a midlife crisis? Meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. He didn't have to buy a sports car. He met Jesus Christ. And he has this midlife reevaluation. I'm ravaging the, the church, he's thinking. I'm destroying families. I'm, I'm binding men and women that were just loving Jesus and hauling them off to jail in Jerusalem. See, Saul is in the age of contribution. And at the time, he has uh, academic energies. He has abilities and strengths. But what was being used for evil and destruction, he has this midlife crisis, and everything just changes overnight, doesn't it? He meets the Savior of the world, and in that moment, Jesus challenges them to make that catalytic change, a metamorphosis of a whole self, including his name. I've, I've met some people that have changed their name because of their relationship with Jesus. Mostly it's people that are in like first world countries where their name kind of connects with uh, their own local deity. I've, I've met them as pastors and they've taken on a gospel name like a Mark, a Luke, or James, or John. Because their relationship with Jesus has catalytically metamorphosis from the inside out. To the point where they can't be called that name anymore in their community or in their country. They need to go and branch out to be something different. And Saul takes on Paul. And his whole self has changed. See, we don't know if he had senior mentors or peer mentors in his life, but I know that he was a priest, and I know that he was accountable to the temple, the Sanhedrin. So he had people up over him making sure that he was doing his job. A bean counter as people came into Jerusalem going, well, Saul, how many people did you lock up and put into prison? Oh, sounds good. You're doing a great job, Saul. A lot of thumbs up. A lot of good coaches in the, in the temple. But interestingly enough, Saul makes a transition to come under who? Ananias. This guy that he doesn't know probably has not the same kind of level of education that he's used to, but he becomes humble and teachable and leadable under this completely new person, Ananias. Partly because he's blind and he needs literally people to help him. But what I love about this is these characteristics that Saul has, that came with, had made him to be able to make the shift to become a follower of Jesus. And because of his humility and his teachability, his leadability, he became an integral leader for this brand new church movement. As Carson Pugh says in his book, and he lays out this significant contribution to the church, it's also a time in his life where he has figured out 
his life, purpose, and voice. And we see that so much in his letters to Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Galatia. Have you, Paul has found his voice. He has found his purpose. But as we move from an age of contribution, he gets a little bit older. That's part of life, isn't it? When you get past that 50 mark, that's all I'm saying. Careful. <laughs> Caution. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Let's look at this. It says, Greeting Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So Paul is, is authoring this letter to 1 Timothy. To Timothy. He says, just so you know, kind of like, here's my contribution that I'm saying to you. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ and the command of God and Christ Jesus our hope. So he's kind of saying, here is my CV. But then look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 1 to 7. Paul in Macedonia. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and was a plot made, was made against him by the Jews as he was about to be set sail for Syria, and he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derb, and Timothy, and the agents of Tychus and, and Trophimus. Those, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Again, from Carson Pugh's book, we move on to the age of investment. Age of investment. So you are 50 years or older. And the key question for the age of investment is in whom or what should I invest myself in? He says this, he says, in this life phase, we will attend, sadly, more funerals than weddings. Our focus turns towards finishing well. There's a growing desire to leave a legacy. Leaving a legacy means that something is remembered, but it doesn't happen by itself. It is something we must work at. The legacy we leave behind is the imprint, the kind of the fingerprint that lasts after we retired or retread or moved on. It is the lasting impact we've had on others through our careers. This season also brings with us a great deal of change. Aging parents, teenage children moving or, and or downsizing, Friends and family moving or sadly dying, each alters our world. People in this age of investment are best helped with a peer mentor, someone close to their age who will grow old with them. For these folks, 
maintaining a vision that would have kept you awake at night with excitement 20 years earlier will begin to weigh you down. Maintenance of vision can be draining and the search for something new in which we can invest yourself can provide a great deal of enjoyment and fulfillment. As we see in Paul is now an older and wiser and learned and experienced leader in the church. And he finds these young guys. Because we have Timothy and Titus in our Bible. But from Acts 20, you could also see there were a handful of guys from all over Asia Minor that he was mentoring. Paul takes this opportunity to, and I love this, he disciples them, but he disciples them by the act of multiplication. Not just adding. Because it's more of just what to believe this and move on. But he actually takes of what he's learned as a mentor and he multiplies it. He kind of invests it. He kind of gets behind that person and teaches that young person so that A, he doesn't repeat the things that he screwed up on. It's like, oh, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, I've, trust me, I've done that. I've got the teacher to prove it. Don't do it. But then he multiplies and says, hey, these are the things that are championing the gospel. And he gets behind it. I was thinking about this. And I thought of uh, Olympic speed skating. Have you seen Olympic speed? When they're cycling that, cycling, skating around that oval. And they're doing it as a team. And, and, and can I just have you stand up for a second? Yeah, sorry. So as, as he's skating, I don't know if you've seen this. And it's pretty powerful. Okay, skate that way. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, so as, I'm, as, it, as he comes and he's skating, and it's like if the Apostle Paul's coming and he sees Timothy and you see this in the Olympic skating, and then he pushes him. It's legal. It's part of the races. He kind of transfers all of his kinetic energy and he pushes the skater, almost giving him a launch into the next lap. You can be seated. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But as I started thinking about how that looked like, I saw this mentor, Paul, cycling and going, you know, I'm realizing I'm retreading into my retirement. I'm realizing I might not have a lot more laps, but you know what I can do is I'm going to come right behind Timothy and I'm just going to push him. I'm going to push him as hard as I can so he can do that next lap, not like gasping, but he's got that, that bolt, that, just that lightning because that's what we do. And in that, too, is when we as senior pastors and those people in the age of investment, part of investing is, is sacrificial, right? It's sacri- when you make an, a financial investment to a company, you don't say, look, I'm going to give you $20 a month for 10 years. That's not a, that, you, okay, good for you, you did that, but that's not really an investor. An investor's like, I'm going to give you $20,000, isn't that the push? I believe in your app, and it's, I think your app is going to go places, and it's going to save lives. So I'm going to invest. It's a sacrifice. But what we see too many times is the Pauls in our life, those leaders in the age 50 and up bracket, still trying to hold on to their pulpits and go, I'm a contributor. I saw, I'm still very much like a Timothy. You can't take this pulpit away from me. And they fail. They become hollow like that tree. Oh, and you want to just look at them like, you should have found a Paul five years ago. I mean, a Timothy five years ago. And now, sadly, 
you're 60, 65, 70, and you become angry and bitter and resentful to the church because for some reason they've actually taken you off the stage. Paul says, look, I granted, he's like, I, I know my time on the stage is coming to an end. So what I'm going to do is he just lists people from Derby and, and Thessalonica and Asia Minor and Timothy and Titus. And if you read clearly now from uh, that understanding of a mentor pouring and multiplying, when you read Timothy and Titus, you'll get it. Oh my gosh, this is just a mentoring letter. That's all it is. He's constantly saying to Timothy, watch, you know, watch your life, watch your doctrine. Don't do this, don't do that. Make sure you, you're always preaching the gospel. Don't let people look down at you because you're young. Isn't that what a mentor says? He is pushing. And what's great about status, if he had had a high status, what you end up doing is you transfer. It's like when you be in ZAP, you transfer money from one account to another. Bye-bye money. You don't get it back. It's like off to Crystal, off to Michaela, whatever it is. There <laughs> it goes. And you're transferring all that and you're pushing that. And Paul is, and if you look at it, Paul in his age of investment, he's probably investing and multiplying himself into probably 10, maybe 12, maybe 15 people all at once. And at no point do you see him later on in his writing, especially in the book of Romans, because that's when he goes into house arrest, you ever see him complain? He's like, don't you know, church, all the things I've done for you? He, he knows that his time is coming to an end. Oh, man, I've got to go through my notes here. <laughs> so the age of con contribution age investment, but then you're like, uh, John, I think you started in the middle. Let's go way back. Look at 2 Timothy 1.4. 2 Timothy 1.4. Sorry, 1 to 1 to 4. And here again, it's Paul saying, hi, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, he says, grace and peace and mercy from God the Father and the Christ Jesus our Lord. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Then 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26. I won't read the whole thing, but then here's something that he just says. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. See, Carson Pugh calls this the age of learning. These are people that are 18 to 30. The key question that the age of learning is, who am I? And during this stage, we are trying to find out who we are. We need models we can watch and observe safely. We want to develop understanding of who we are and how things work. Oh, the babies. Lord, bless that baby. We welcome perspective, affirmation, and feedback to assist us on our journey. That's what Timothy was doing. This stage also finds us dealing with inner life issues. We need accountability. 
we know that there are so many busy people in this age grouping, but there are relatively fewer external demands on your time. And the age of learning is, is you have more time in this latter stage. Therefore, we are less busy, so to speak. But during this phase, we are best helped by having an older mentor, maybe 10 to 15 years older, like Paul was. As a guideline, here enters Timothy. Timothy is, from the, the text, is 18 to 30. Now, granted, in our social structures, 18 to 30 is still labeled as adolescent. He's still adolescent, but he's energetic. He's full of the Spirit of God. But Timothy, if left alone, would be kind of effective. But when the Apostle Paul sees potential in him, then it goes to a whole nother level. Apostle Paul comes behind Timothy and multiplies himself and pushes him like never before. Timothy welcomes the Apostle Paul, his perspective, and embraces the affirmation of this alerted academic and experienced leader because he is humble and he's teachable. Timothy, because of his age, he hasn't settled down with a family that we know of, but there is a higher probability that Timothy is more fluid and open to take on larger amounts of responsibility in the church. So for these age of learning, these are uh, most of the time associate pastors. They were like me when I had my Michael Shiro. I came in, I was energetic, I was full of life, but I needed a senior pastor to guide me and teach me and direct me and make sure I wasn't doing too much and I was home uh, every night to be home with my baby and my family. It is paramount that Timothy receives adequate supervision, exemplary shepherding, and an ongoing partnership, that's last week, with the Apostle Paul. For me, this came to this key concept that I'm going to teach you tonight, or this morning, is the hand up to hand down. Mike Oshiro actually taught me this. I think as mentors, it's so simple just to be constantly down. But part of what we need is mutual mentoring. I need a hand up in mentoring and a hand down to the people. So for me, I need that accountability. I need that peer-to-peer. -peer. So the guy that I told you about, Phil in Vancouver, I need to meet with him. I need to meet with, I'm just starting this week, with a new spiritual director where this guy is 15 to 20 years older than me and he sits me down and literally he told me, come and sit in the room, do not speak. <laughs> I love it. I, and I sat in the room last week. It's like just two chairs, a little table, and the window. And he says, when, when, when you come for spiritual direction, just come and sit in the room. Don't fiddle around. Don't take notes. I, you can look at your notes, but when you get to that room, you're sitting in silence. And I have ADHD, so I'm like, uh, okay. Can I have a coffee? No. But I need that hand up. I need that constant connection to, that I'm not done in my journey. I'm still a lifelong learner. I, I want that, that, that connection. I want a Paul to keep pushing me. But by the grace of God, I have people that I have a mentoring hand to. People in this church that have come to me and said, would you in this season of life mentor me? And I am. By the grace of God, I am. And it's been great. Now, that's more the academic. I'm not going to take up too much, but I have two slides. Fiona, let's hit the first one. 
You're probably sitting, sitting at me and saying, okay, so what's the big deal? How do I do this? First one is this. If you are needing a mentor, first of all, all of our staff here, we've been praying for that you guys would find mentors this season. Because it takes a lot of the pastoral care off us sometimes if you guys are caring for each other. So if you need a mentor, oh, there it is. Who is at your table that fits the need? I, I'm a big believer of people that are sitting at your table. These are people that you that commune with, they know you, they have a place in your life. If you're in the age of investment, look for eye level, kind of more mature Christians to be than the peer-to-peer person. But if you're younger, look around you. Who is 10 to 15 years older? Be careful with that. Don't go up to them saying, are you 15 years older than me? Because <laughs> kind of looks can be deceiving, right? But, but look for people that are not exactly carbon copies of who you are. Look for people that might have similar stories. So like for me, maybe you have a similar story like me where you got saved later on in life. Maybe that mentor would be helpful for you. Maybe someone that's passionate. So like if, I don't know, Mark Croker's in the room. Yeah, there you go, bud. He's like someone that does windsurfing or kiteboarding, right? Like that might be good because you could do mentoring while you're on the water, right? Or surfing. Or it could be someone that has a, a similar experience. Maybe you're a solo mom or solo dad. Second of all is pray. Ask the Lord to remind you of a person. For my Arrow leadership, we were required to have mentors in our city. Sadly, um, there was no pastor or person that was 10 to 15 years older than me that fit the bill for me in my city. So I prayed. I said, God, you know, like I really just, I need a mentor that's close. And God immediately revealed a person's face. We'd had him come and speak at the church one summer. So I contacted him. Funny thing is, the Holy Spirit was starting to work on his life saying, I think it's time to take on a new Timothy. And we met the next week, and it was probably the best mentoring season I had in a long time. Seek out that person for a cup of coffee. Or in my case, you know, like I said about this guy, is that we met a a week later. If the person agrees, so I've actually said this, I said, hey, would you consider taking me on? Would you consider mentoring me for this season? And they had to pray about it. In this case, his name was Dean. He's like, I've actually been thinking about the same thing. Yes, let's meet on a regular basis. So set the parameters of your meetings. What is the frequency? You're going to meet every week, every fortnight. Don't do every day. That's, that's too much. And maybe it's for a season. Maybe you say, hey, as I, as I prepare to get married, can you help me in this mentoring me? Or as I, as I shift houses or as I move to another city, I need someone just to be accountable with me. And find out a place. Maybe it's coffee culture. Or maybe it's a, if you think that you're going to go deep with accountability, find something that's private. And this is specific mentoring and coaching. I've had young guys come up to me and said, John, I just want to be sexually pure, and I just need that to be accountable with you. And um, I've got a mentor for my work and stuff, but I just need someone to tell and say, look, um, I'm struggling in this area. I'm struggling in that area. So I had specific parameters of mentoring, coaching, leadership. Maybe it's on parenting. Maybe it's just I need someone to, to keep me coming to church. I've had that where I've had a, a notification on my phone to phone someone on Saturday night going, hey, dude, it's time to come to church tomorrow morning. And they're like, oh, thanks. I was, I was, I was going to bail, but thank you for letting me know. 
Lower the drawbridge of trust. The only way a mentoring relationship will start is if you will lower a drawbridge to the person saying, you can come in. I'm going to tell you some, some stuff. And it's not secret, but it's confidential. And guess what? You keep your confidences. Amen? You don't get on the gossip train and go choo-choo at the next prayer meeting. You covenant together and begin and end with prayer. You ask profound questions and you get profound answers. Now, next slide, Fiona, ready? If you're the mentor, arrange the best time and place and frequency. Yes. Determine the right from the very beginning how deep and vulnerable he or she wants to go. Determine right away if there's a specific area for needing a mentoring. Here's the big one. Listen, seriously. Take the time to listen and not jump especially guys in the room, to problem-solving. Volunteer feedback once agreed upon. Answer truthfully and without coming across, coming across preachy or like the Riddler. Riddle me this, and then you, the person gets kind of confused. Realize that you have a limit, and if you don't know the answer, for the love of everything good, decent, and holy, just say, I don't know. Don't make stuff up. And if it's past your, quote, pay grade, know that this situation might need some professional help. Make sure you resource that person with help. And begin with end in prayer, and especially listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to invite the band to come up, and, and we'll just sing a song. I want you to stand. I'm going to just pray over us in this area. So, Father, we just lift up mentorship to you. And for some of us, this is like preaching to the choir, that we have had mentors in our life. And so, Father, I pray that that would continue and flourish in depth and vulnerability. But for some of us this morning, we have never had someone walk alongside us, or in that case, come behind us and push us into the things that, God, you have for us. God, there are Timothys in this room that need, desperately need a Paul. And vice versa, there's, there are so many Pauls in this room that they just need a Timothy to multiply themselves into. How awesome would it be as a church that we all started to care for each other in this profound way? That in a year's time, people would testify saying, after that sermon on mentoring, I've been meeting faithfully with so-and-so for coffee every month and we talk about spiritual things, we talk about parenting, we talk about our lives and I'm better after a year knowing them speaking to my life. May that be the opportunity for this morning. May that be the genesis of something good. Let's just sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.